Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. And today's topic is about compassion. And uh, it's going to be from the perspective of Bhagavad Gita, I believe. And I'm also eager to hear, because our speaker today, Giri Gordhan Prabhu, he is one of the speakers that I look forward to hearing from whenever he speaks, because his talks are filled with wisdom and also amply referenced from our scriptures. So without further ado, I would like to invite Grigodhan Prabhu to resume his talk today on compassion. Please give him a warm welcome. Thank you. So I decided to talk on compassion. It's something that's kind of central to our philosophy, but it's also interesting because I believe it hits at a very nice intersection between our spiritual understanding and our daily lives. And so you can understand a lot from, if you take a look at the level, I'd say the, the width, the depth, <laughs> the breadth, and the type of compassion that you have, gives you great insight into how well we have understood and assimilated spiritual teachings. It's like a good barometer or thermometer that shows us where we're at. And so we thought, I thought we'd talk about that today. Um, we'll start just with a simple definition and two components. Right? A, a strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for other people's suffering or bad luck. The second part is a desire to help. And those two things have to be present. Etymologically, it comes from, from ko-pati, back I think in, in the, the Latin. And ko means together. And pati means to suffer. So when somebody else is suffering, you feel as though you're suffering together. And so so it, it, it's not just a... a a feeling of pity or an acknowledgement, but you actually feel that suffering and 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 that that's what causes helps to cause you to want to do something it, it forces a response almost when it's when it's strong like that and uh, Srila Prabhupada says in the, in the Krishna book the Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead this is in the the Lila with, with uh, the Damodar Lila and Prabhupada says, a person who has a pinprick in his body does not wish others to be pricked by pins. A considerate man in the life of poverty does not wish others to be also put into that condition. And then Prabhupada says, now the, the root of it, you know, why should there be this compassion? Why should we feel? Because it's, it's a natural thing. It's a natural human thing. It's not even just a, it's not just a spiritual thing, right? but it's a human thing. Actually, if somebody has no compassion, they're considered to be quite abnormal. Mm -hmm. 
although the type and depth of compassion for a spiritual person we'll see is, is different. And Prabhupada says here, in the, in the preface to the Nectar of Devotion, he says, the basic principle of the living condition is that we have a general propensity to love someone. No one can live without loving someone else. This propensity is present in every living being. So we have this nature to be connected with others. And then he says, he goes on to say in, in the preface, he says, in the primary stage, a child loves his parents, then his brothers and sisters, and as he daily grows up, he begins to love his family, society, community, country, nation, or even the whole human society. So what we'll notice, though, is that uh, even though there's an initial inclination for love, uh, there tends to be a limitation to it. You see, gradually, it may develop great, more greatly, but it begins with people you're familiar with. So it doesn't spread to everybody. There's a limitation. Certain people are, are objects of your love and compassion. Other people may not be. And so there's a, what there is, there's this, this notion, right? Us and them, or similarity in sameness and otherness. These things tend to limit or circumscribe our areas of compassion in, in, in the normal, normal world. And people actually know how to use this, this feeling of us and them, we're the same or we're different. Uh, I've, got, I've got some examples here from, uh, this is back from World War I. People would make propaganda. Uh, this is before you had the television. So if you wanted to advertise, you had the little posters that you would put up. And so you have, this is, uh, this is against, uh, this is, um, probably an American poster, against the Germans. Right? So you see the face of the Germans, is not very human. <laughs> and he's got a nickname, he's the Hun. Right? And bloody sword, it doesn't look very good. And you have here uh, a, a Japanese poster. And that's the, um, current, the, the then current American President Roosevelt, also not looking very human, looking rather demonic. Right? So when you, when, you make other people, when you make other people, you label them as being other, subhuman, less than, you know, le less than those, then you cause people to reduce their level of compassion towards them. It helps when you're fighting a war to do that. And then here's a, it looks like this, was, this happened after the World War I. The British were showing them, after the war, they're showing how they're things of peace, <laughs> how they're, whole, they're all united with all these other countries. Right? So make, make them feel like they're together. Right? They increase the compassion there. So it's, it's understood even uh, how this, this thing works, this this us and them were the same or were different, how that generally affects people's concern for one another, people's compassion towards one another. Uh, and this, this shows up right away, actually, in the first verse of the Bhagavad Gita, this kind of mentality. In the very, in the very first verse, Bhagavad Gita 1.1, Dhritarashtra said, O Sanjaya, after my sons and the sons of Pandu assembled in the place of pilgrimage at Kurukshetra, desiring to fight, what did they do? 
And this may not sound odd to you unless you understand that, that Pandu was Dhritarashtra's brother. He doesn't say, my brother Pandu. He doesn't say, my nephews. He says, the sons of Pandu and my sons. And Prabhupada mentions in his commentary, he says, both the Pandavas and the sons of Dhritarashtra belong to the same family, but Dhritarashtra's mind is disclosed herein. He deliberately claimed only his sons as Kurus, and he separated the sons of Pandu from the family heritage. Hmm? So right away, he, he created a certain otherness. My sons, the sons of Pandu. When they were a close family, he'd helped to raise them, the sons of Pandu. And there was a close relationship there. Hmm? And you see the opposite with Arjuna. Hmm? It says, there Arjuna could see, within the midst of the armies both par of both parties, his fathers, grandfathers, teachers, maternal uncles, brothers, sons, grandsons, friends, and also his fathers-in-law and the well-wishers. So he wasn't seeing his friends and his enemies. He wasn't seeing, you know, my, you know, my, my, brothers and my cousins were different. He wasn't seeing it that way. And his course reaction because of that was quite different from Dhritarashtra's or, or Duryodhana's. Hmm? When the son of Kunti, this is in the very next verse, 127, Arjuna saw all these different grades of friends and relatives, he became overwhelmed with compassion and spoke thus. Hmm? And he didn't want to fight after that. Right. So, you know, so because he and the, the interesting things we'll, we'll see is, is it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, there were people wishing him harm on the other side. Now, I guess one thing we can we can try to deal with immediately is that if people who are familiar with Bhagavad Gita may object that Krishna didn't seem to be too inclined towards Arjuna's compassion. He seemed to think it was out of place. Hmm? He, didn't think very, he didn't seem to think very highly of it. And so maybe, maybe compassion isn't such a great topic after all. Hmm? So we'll take a look, quick look at that, a little detour before we go further. You see a couple of verses here. This is, this is Krishna's, this is his first comment to Arjuna, basically, when he begins formally giving his instructions. He says, says, the Supreme Personality of God had said, while speaking learned words, you are mourning for that which is not worthy of grief. Those who are wise lament neither for the living nor for the dead. And in 2.30, he says, O descendant of Bharata, he who dwells in the body can never be slain. Therefore, you need not grieve for every living being. Hmm? Well, it sounds like he should just be relaxed. Hmm? He, should, he shouldn't be having such a... He had a, 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 you know, a full-scale meltdown on the battlefield, and so one can think maybe he shouldn't have felt anything. Right? Compassion is obsolete when you're spiritually realized. You might, might consider that. Hmm? Well, I'm going to argue against that. And, and Prabhupada, he, do, he does so... In the very first chapter, when Krishna has that same situation, 
And in his purport, he says, although it is not mentioned here, one, still one can easily imagine that not only were Arjuna's bodily limbs quivering and his mouth drying up, but he was also crying out of compassion. It doesn't say that. and It doesn't say he was crying in the, in the verses itself. So Prabhupada is giving us a little, a little more minute view of things. He said, actually, he was crying. It was so bad. Because he was, he was saying his mouth was drying up, his limbs were quivering, his skin was burning. And, his, and, and here Prabhupada says he was crying. And here's what Prabhupada says about that. He says, such symptoms in Arjuna were not due to weakness, but due to his soft-heartedness, a characteristic of a pure devotee of the Lord. This is what he says. Hmm. And I, I'll support that a little bit further, showing how that, that, that his position was not just sympathy, normal kind of sympathy for his, his relatives, because you know, uh, even, even though relatives were on both sides, uh, later on in the sixth chapter, uh, Krishna talks about somebody who has this deep spiritual realization. He says, first of all, he says, somebody can see pebbles, stones, and gold equally. They're, they're, they're realized. We, you know, pebbles aren't good for much. No stones you can build things with, maybe. They can some useful gold. Well, which one would you prefer? Right. I'll give you a choice. Okay. So he says, somebody you can see them all the same. But he says, still further, then he says afterwards, he says, a person considered, is considered still further advanced when he regards as honest well-wishers, affectionate benefactors, the neutral, mediators, the envious friends and enemies, the pious and sinners, all with an equal mind. Hmm. And that's what Arjuna was seeing on the other side. <laughs> he was seeing all, all these kinds of people over there, right? All these sorts of persons, envious persons, enemies, people who were pious and, and sinners. Yeah. They weren't just all members of his family, but they were, you know, some of them were out to destroy him. Hmm? So it wasn't a normal, naturally we're affectionate to our family, but what if they want to kill us? Is our, how does our affection, is it affected by that? Most likely it will be. You feel a little bit less, a little bit less compassion. So it shows that he was he was looking at things from a very high level. What what Krishna objects to is uh, is, is a particular notion of compassion, and so in in the purport uh, of of uh, chapter two, text one, Prophet says, "Compassion for the dress of a drowning man is senseless. A man fallen in the ocean of nescience cannot be saved simply by rescuing his outward dress." the gross material body. So what, what, what Krishna actually recommends is not that one be compassionless, but have a deeper level of compassion. Hmm? What Arjuna sees, or any spiritual realized person sees, is that when somebody's suffering, it's never an isolated incident. That suffering and difficulty is an intrinsic part of life in this world. So, say somebody is a medical practitioner, and that they see somebody has a certain symptoms, and but they realize there's a deeper cause for that symptom. Well, they'll treat the symptom; that's fine, but they'll want to cure the the, 
the underlying cause. It's natural. And so somebody who understands the teachings of Bhagavad Gita understands that, that we're eternal souls. Hmm? They understand that this is the problem is that we're misidentifying with this material life. And therefore we're, we're suffering repeated births and deaths. We're, we're, you know, Prabhupada says, birth, death, old age, and disease are just a natural component of life here in this world. And so even if you solve the immediate problem that they have, more trouble is coming. And it's going to keep coming and keep coming. So when, when somebody sees a person without spiritual understanding, they're not only seeing their present distress, but they're understanding they've had so much past distress and they're seeing future distress. So there's even greater compassion for them. And there's a desire to want to fix it. So the, the, what, what, uh, what was happening on the battlefield of Kurukshetra was that Krishna had arranged the battle. It was part of his purpose. He says later on, he's arranged this battle to take place. It's being done according to religious principles. And so even though people may be killed on the battlefield, their future is better for it. Everybody has to die at some point. But either karmically or even spiritually, they would benefit from that situation. So it wasn't that Arjuna shouldn't feel compassion for, those, for his relatives, but he should go on with the battle, because actually it will be to their best interest if he does so. So that's the difference between what his prophet calls material compassion and other compassion. So how does this happen? How, how can we make this kind of a leap where the compassion is not limited? And this is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. We kind of already hinted at it already. But uh, uh, Krishna says in, in, in chapter 5, text 18, the humble sages by virtue of true knowledge see with equal vision a learned and gentle brahmana, a cow, an elephant, a dog, and a dog eater an outcast. This is, this is an ongoing theme, this is Samadarshana, seeing with equal vision, seeing past the body and into the soul is, is happening frequently in Bhagavad Gita. And Prabhupada explains it in a lecture he gave uh, on the Srimad Bhagavatam. He says, at that time, he realizes that all living entities, they are spirit soul. That is equal vision, not the bodily vision. So long we have got bodily vision, there cannot be any equality. That is not possible. When one sees only to the, the spiritual existence of a living entity, then there is a question of seeing equality, equal vision, universal brotherhood. That's possible. So, I guess the first thing we can take a look at if we want to take a little temperature reading of our spiritual understanding and integration is how broad is our compassion? Hmm? All right. Who is in our circle and who's outside of our circle? Hmm? And even if we, I think, see that 
maybe everybody somehow is in our circle, we'll see there's, there's sharp gradations. Some of them are, are more tightly in our circle than others. We still differentiate, even if we're well enough acquainted with the, with, with the teachings. As many of us have that, that notion, and many of us have this, this, this understanding that, that, there's something, that we're something more than just a physical body, that we're, we're spirit souls. I remember at the beginning of the year, uh, Bayahari Prabhu was giving a class, and he was asking everybody, you know, you have to raise your hands. Who knows that you're you know, not just bodies, but you're souls? And you know, people are raising their hands every place. And then he said, who is able to live that way? And most of the hands went down. Hmm? So even though we have, so part of this, this notion, of, if we look at the, the, the wideness of our circle, it shows us a little bit about how well we have integrated that understanding into our lives. And so I'll, I'll, and, uh, and I'll give a little answer that, that's mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, why that happens, why even though we know it's difficult to act on that way. Even though we understand all the all different people, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're effulgent, beautiful spirit souls, how we still make distinctions. What is the, what is the force that causes us to distinguish and to t- treat people unequally? Hmm? And then this is, this is hinted at in the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita, where... Uh, where Arjuna tells, he talks to Krishna, he's calling Krishna Janardhan. He says, Oh Janardhan, although these men, he's talking about the guys on the other side, Duryodhan and his brothers, their hearts overtaken by greed. See no fault in killing one's family or quarreling with friends. Why should we, who can see the crime in destroying a family, engage in these acts of sin? So it's his greed that causes him to make these distinctions, to, to even overpower the family relationships. We see that. Um, and Prabhupada, he mentions later on in, in chapter 3, text 40, in his purpose, he says, lusty intelligence influenced the spirit soul to acquire the false ego and identify itself with matter. And thus with the mind and senses. The spirit soul becomes addicted to enjoying the material senses and mistakes this as true happiness. Mm-hmm. So we have a situation as as beings as living in this world. Mm-hmm. We have desires, and sometimes very powerful ones. And it's natural for us to see common cause with those who may help us to achieve those desires, and to see those who may frustrate our desires to be the enemy the friend and foe mentality comes in. And those who are neutral, kind of someplace in between. Right, this is what was happening to Duryodhan. He strongly desired to win the throne, and the Pandavas, his cousins, were in the way. So friend and foe. It doesn't matter. So there's this powerful, our powerful desires cloud our vision and cause us to make distinctions. Hmm? It's a powerful thing that creates this us and them identity. And the opposite of that is given in the 18th chapter, 
One who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the Supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. He never laments or desires to have anything. He is equally disposed toward every living entity. In that state, he attains pure devotional service unto me. So, this is when the empty, so here the, this, this is prasanatma, fully filled with joyfulness. Right? So when, and you see here, if that happens, if the emptiness that causes desire is filled with spiritual joy, then naturally this, this is our desires go away and this unequal treatment of others goes away as a natural byproduct. Hmm? Right? As, we become, as we grow spiritually, we're supposed to attain this spiritual happiness. Hmm? So another thing we can ask us ourselves are we feeling joy? Are we feeling some emptiness these days? Hmm? Hmm. Hmm. So anyway, even if we say we're able to do it, right, we're able to close the circle, and we'll be able, able to, to see everybody as a spirit soul. We're able to have compassion for everybody. We've We've come to the point where, we're, where our desires are not so powerful. There's a spiritual joy inside us and we can welcome everyone in, in, within our circle of compassion. There's another dimension that we haven't uh, mentioned and that's the depth of the compassion. And that also changes with spiritual realization. Hmm? So I've taken this from Bhakti Tirta Swami's Surrender the Key to Eternal Life. He says, if we introspect, we will notice that at times we feel a sense of well-being knowing that our position is seemingly better than someone else's. Hmm. Many times when we have compassion for others, there's a feeling of, well, he says, well-being or a feeling of superiority is how I would, I would put it a little less, uh, he's being kind of generous with us, being a little less generous, a feeling of superiority. If others are in a lamentable condition, we may feel that, well, I'm very happy that I have spiritual understanding and realization. And therefore, I, will share, I feel compassion for them, I want to share, but there's some feeling of otherness there. Right? There's a more subtle kind of otherness so this, this happens even, even with very, very elevated personalities. Because there, there is a tinge of feeling that I'm a little superior and I'm helping. I'm willing to help and eager to help. But because I'm able to help, that means I'm on a higher level. No, it's still good. You're trying to help. It's a wonderful situation when we, when we do that. But there's a certain lack of depth that happens there. And so then in, in, in the sixth chapter, Krishna, sa uh, yeah, Krishna says, He is a perfect yogi who by comparison to his own self sees the true equality of all beings in both their happiness and their distress, O Arjuna. Now this sounds a little bit like the, the Samadarshana coming back again. But the commentators say that there's something d more deep uh, happening here. Something deeper.
that's going on with this thing. And uh, Baladev Bidyabhushan says, I consider this yogi, who is merciful to all, seeing others' happiness and distress as his own, to be the best. Though a person may be knowledgeable of the truth, if he sees others unequal to himself, then he is not considered the best yogi. The, the, the verse says, this is the best yogi who sees like this. Otherwise, the learned sage sees everybody equally. But the best yogi, he doesn't see himself as superior. Now, how does that happen? Because it's natural. I mean, you know, we're... We're us and other people are other people, but, and we have to be the most important to ourselves, right? How can we see, how can your pain be as important as my pain, even if I have concern for it? How does that happen? Well, it's explained actually uh, a couple of verses before this. It says, A true yogi observes me in all beings and also sees every being in me. Indeed, the self-realized person sees me, the same Supreme Lord, everywhere. And then he, Prabhupada goes on in the purport, he says, the yogi sees equally because he sees that all living entities, although in different situations, according to the results of fruit of work, in all circumstances remain the servants of God. While in the material energy, the living entity serves the material senses, and while in the spiritual energy, he serves the Supreme Lord directly, in either case, the living entity is the servant of God. Hmm. And then further, Prabhupada said, this is in the purport of Srimad Bhagavatam, he says, he's talking about why Krishna appears in this world. He says, the conclusion is that the Lord is so compassionate upon the fallen souls within this material world that he comes himself or sends his devotees and his servants to fulfill his desire to have all the fallen souls come back home, back to Godhead. So you see, the yogi understands a couple of different things. He understands how dear everyone is to Krishna. That Krishna is willing to go out of his way. He is compassionate to everyone. And he's trying to fix it. By sending his devotees, sending the scriptures, coming himself. And even more so, he said the yogi understands that, that Krishna as the super soul is there with every living being. Do you stay around with people you don't like? Krishna is with us lifetime after lifetime, with everybody, lifetime after lifetime, regardless of anything and everything. The worst person ever, Krishna is with them. That's how powerful his care and concern is for us. Hmm? So Prabhupada says here, he says in the, in the, the, about the same yogi, he says, he is the best yogi because he does not desire perfection in yoga for his personal benefit, but tries for others also. Hmm? So when somebody sees 
others as being dear to the Supreme Lord, this suddenly makes them extremely valuable. I mean, sometimes Prabhupada talks about the fallen conditioned souls. And true, we are. But we're spirits dearly loved by Krishna. And everybody is. That makes us and makes them of extraordinary value. And the, the, there's a highest expression of this comes from uh, Vasudev Dutta, an associate of Lord Chaitanya, who said, who has prayed to Lord Chaitanya. He says, My dear Lord, let me suffer perpetually in a hellish condition, accepting all the sinful reactions of all living entities. Please finish their diseased material life. So if we first of all can understand how the Lord is compassionate and loving towards us no matter what. He's already proven that. What should we feel about that? Do we feel like, well, of course, I'm such a great person. Not if we understand how wonderful Krishna is. All right? we should feel some serious joy and some serious gratitude. And if we feel that gratitude, right, this compassion makes you want to do something, gratitude makes you want to do something. You want to do something. What can you do for Krishna who has everything? Hmm? Well, you can notice how Krishna is acting. Right? He's coming himself. He's sending his devotees. He's trying to save you and he's trying to save others. So what better way to show your gratitude than to try to help those others who are dear to Krishna, equally dear to you? Hmm? So Vasudev Dutta is an extreme example, but his gratitude was so great, he says, let me even suffer if I can do something for you in that way. So the last little thing I said, little, another meditation is, can we really believe that you're loved by Krishna? And does that cause you to feel gratitude? Shouldn't that fill the emptiness? Right. So we can look. Right. Where is our circle of compassion? And if it's limited, why? Are we feeling joy or emptiness that's causing that constriction, potential constriction? And then can we believe, because right, we need to believe it, that we're loved dearly by Krishna in spite of everything? And does that make us feel grateful? And if it does, we'll begin to un be able to understand deep spiritual compassion. So, thank you very much.
If there's comments or questions or complaints, please, this is the time. Hmm. Comments are fine. So the verse you read about the yogi and not performing yoga practice for himself, but actually for the benefit of mm. others. There's a wonderful pastime in the Krishna book, volume two, chapter 26, the Sudam Brahman goes visits Krishna. Mm. And in that purport, or in the commentary by mm. Shri Prabhupada, because Krishna book is it's, a it's, it's interwoven, yeah. Yeah, the commentary is woven in, yeah. But Prabhupada says this, and he quotes this portion. I consider that this, well, first of all, Sudama brings a gift for Krishna, but he's embarrassed and he doesn't want to give it because it's just chipped rice, it's mediocre, if that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Krishna responds, I consider that this quantity of chipped rice, uh-oh, hold on a second, technical difficulties here. All right, this quantity of chipped rice will not only satisfy me, but will satisfy the whole creation, end quote. It is understood from this statement that Krishna, being the or original source of everything, is the root of the entire creation. As watering the root of a tree immediately distributes water to every part of the tree, so an offering made to Krishna, or any action done for Krishna, is to be considered the highest welfare work for everyone, because the benefit of such, such an offering is distributed throughout the creation. Love for Krishna becomes distributed to all living entities. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's beautiful. Everyone's yeah. Yeah. Because Krishna becomes satisfied. Yes, sir? Yeah. Oh, somebody may? Hare Krishna. <clears throat> Thank you for a very nice, well-researched class. <clears throat> I have a comment and also a question. Um, so, the comment is that, of course, uh, devotees know that uh, the highest compassion, as you were mentioning at the end of your class, the highest compassion is to uh, give Krishna or give Krishna consciousness whatever we realize of it, even if it's only a little, whatever we give to <coughs> another living entity that doesn't have Krishna consciousness or knowledge of Krishna is an act, uh, as uh, Palika Prabhu was just saying, of tremendous compassion. Um, so we can t each think about how to do that. And the question, um, you were mentioning how the, uh, we're, we can judge our advancement by seeing how wide our circle is about us and them. And uh, it just got me thinking that uh, we're also, as we well know, uh, eternal persons. So persons, as persons, we uh, have personal preferences as to our circle of uh, intimacy 
and uh, there's always going to be persons that are uh, closer in our circle of intimacy or, or who we hold more dear than other persons. And so perhaps you could comment in your capacity as uh, learned Srimad Bhagavatam orator about how that can uh, integrate with the uh, idea that has been expressed several times that uh, the more compassionate we are, the more equal we see living entities. Thank you. Yeah, the, the two things don't necessarily conflict with one another. We see that it, it, actually Krishna is an example of that. Okay? That Krishna is loving everybody equally. He's in everybody's heart. He's trying to save everybody. But he associates. Right? He, he, he mentions, he says, I'm equal to everyone, but he's particularly in relationship with his devotees. I'm particularly inclined to my devotees. So it seems like a contradiction. But his compassion is equal to everybody, but the devotees have given him permission to become active in their lives. So there, there may be those who are more closer to us, we may have a greater chance to act compassionately towards them. That may be true. But Krishna, just because people are disinclined towards him, doesn't mean that he, he is less inclined towards them. He just hasn't been given permission to do it. Right? So it, it, it doesn't mean that we will act equally, but we will have, because we have to respect other people's wishes in some ways. Eh? But we will wish them all well equally. probably know what chapter, but there's a whole chapter in Srimad Bhagavatam about that whole discussion how Krishna is equal to everyone and yet he shows favor to his devotees. I think it's called um, Maybe. Son of the Book. I think it's either in 6th or 7th canto. But they, there's a Seventh, whole, I think, the I mean, whole chapter just based yeah, on that yeah, question. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to be said. <laughs> also, one other thing. This is a comment. But we were talking about compassion and, you know, caring not just about the body, but Shil Prabhupada showed compassion on every single possible level. Yes. One time in Vrindavan, uh, people would eat on um, banana leaf plates. And so they would have a habit to take it out behind the temple and there was a big compost pile and they would just discard whatever wasn't eaten. And one time Shil Prabhupada saw little Vrindavan Basi children fighting with dogs over scraps that devotees had thrown away. And out of his compassion he said, this part I'm not sure. Either said two miles or five miles, but no one within a certain diameter or radius of a temple should ever go hungry. That's beautiful, man. So we have a lot to still achieve as admission. Yeah. But he, out of compassion, he actually said that. Yeah, it's, it's not that, we're, that, that, that because you understand there's a soul, that there's insensitivity to, to regular suffering at all. Yeah. I also saw a quote, one of his purports, where he said, the sages you know, are interested in the, in the material and spiritual welfare of everybody. You know? You know? So in the, in the same way, that they realize the ultimate cause of all that suffering, so they want to fix that part, so they can be rid of all suffering. You may feed them now, and they will be, they'll have some other kind of distress later. But you want to do both. 
if a doctor finds you have some symptoms that have an underlying cause, he'll treat the symptoms and the underlying cause. And that's why we distribute prashad. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the that's a way to feed people and give them spiritual benefit. Yeah. Sorry, I got a little upset. Probably they didn't want me to ask you a question. Uh, even then, if they know not me to ask a question. Who didn't ask you? You were the gentleman who said, no, don't ask the question. I'm telling my son not to ask question, not to you, sir. No, I'm nothing to I'm just telling him because, you know. Anyway, let me, let you me. You go ask, yeah. Sir, we, in the beginning, we talked about the uh, compassion shown by Dhritarashtra and then later on by Arjuna. How do we, what, what uh, sort of compassion we should have, you suggest? We should we could behave like a Devodhana or uh, his father Dhritarashtra or like Arjuna? <laughs> well, I, guess I, I would say that, uh, that uh, Dhritarashtra and Duryodhana had an absence of compassion. <laughs> so we want to be like Arjuna. <laughs> Yeah, I was contrasting the two. <laughs> they were quite different. Yes. Seventh canto, first chapter. Specifically, the entire chapter addresses the question of why Krishna is partial to some. That's that's right. Yeah, he, he, and equal yeah. to all. Because he kills the demons, right? He kills the those who are you know, some of them who are inimical. So they say they, they, they say he's, he's really. They, the, the, the demons are thinking that, that Krishna is flattered by his devotees. They're serving him, and so therefore, just like an, it's like a regular person, right? As you do something for me, I'm going to be more inclined towards you. And if you're against me, I'm going to be against you. But yeah, he, they, that, that, whole, yeah that whole chapter deals with that. Yeah. As far as I want to say that Krishna is equal to all. He's never uh, making any difference between whether a rich man or a poor man comes to him. So he's, he grants wishes of everyone. Mm. If people think that by coming to this temple, uh, he will only help, we can go to anywhere, wherever he is present, or even to an empty space, pray to him. He will answer everything. He's all pervading, yeah. He's all pervading. He's, he says, I'm everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. He will always help us. That's yeah. all right. Yeah. And he has been helping us all, and he will continue to do so. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. I was saying the uh, Lord Krishna, Lord Krishna, and his seven is Aduna. Aduna means to Naam. I was talking about Krishna and Krishna and Aduna went to the battlefield, and then I said to, I said to, oh Aduna, he want to come if Lord Krishna, please go fight them. And then Krishna said, Krishna, I doing to Aduna's wishes, twice the day in between the Obi Eva two forty verses, when he is bit, bit, between both above armies, I don't know because now becomes every 
from the summary of the Bhagavad Gita. Okay. All right, that's nice. <laughs> Hare Krishna, we have run out of time. So thank you, Giri Gordhan Prabhu. Thank you.